message this morning is freedom to serve the Lord with minimal distraction. Freedom to serve the Lord with minimal distraction. Corinthians chapter 7. We looked at the first half of the chapter last week. This week we will cover verses 25 through 40. We go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and just let God speak to us. If it was up to me, we would probably stay on things that I like or my little uh, things that I would just like to hone in on. We go through the Bible, so we just let God speak to us through his word. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time in your word. And Lord, we ask that you would bless your word to us this morning. And Lord, over and over within the Bible, you declare that we need to have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. And so, Lord, that's our prayer, that you would open up the eyes of our understanding, the ears of our hearts, so that we can see and hear what it is you want to speak to us. Bless this message, Lord. We offer this time up to you. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So going through the book of Corinthians has been uh, just a neat book for me to be able to go through. We started out where Paul divides the book into two halves. The first half, he was addressing the things that uh, were reported to him as far as the church in Corinth, the city of Corinth. And you'll remember that in the book of Acts chapter 17, he announces that he was with them for a period of, I forgot, two and a half, 18 months, year and a half, okay? So he was there with them. From there, he would go to Ephesus. That's where he would write this epistle, this letter. This would not be the first letter, even though we call it 1 Corinthians. He wrote them a letter previous to the writing of 1 Corinthians. Um, so 1 Corinthians is really our 2 Corinthians, and then 2 Corinthians is really 3 Corinthians. Whoa, go figure. That's crazy. But nonetheless, this is the book that God wanted in the canon of Scripture. So the first letter that he wrote to them was just a letter that he wrote to them. It was not an inspired book that belonged in the canon of Scripture or the Bible. Those 66 books in the Bible that we have are the 66 books that God wanted us to have. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. First and Second Corinthians being two of those 27. So as we went through, we saw that the church was divided where they should have been united. They were kind of claiming who they followed, who they belonged to. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Peter. I am of Christ. And Paul said, no, you shouldn't be divided in that area then or they shouldn't have been yeah divided in that area then they were united where they should have been divided because they were talking about um, accepting and having tolerance for somebody who was living in sin and Paul said no I've already judged that situation you guys should have been divided on that you should have stood on that which is right and which is wrong you should have kicked that guy out of church because he was living in sin while he was in the church And you shouldn't have accepted that. So you shouldn't have been united. You should have been divided on that. And then we went into things of suing one another in court and dragging the Lord's name through the mud with unbelievers in front of unbelievers. And that was house business. That that was stuff that should have been taken uh, care of in-house with somebody within the church. He said, is there not a wise man among you who can deal with these types of things? And uh, so he was um, not happy about that. And then when we got into chapter 7, we see the second half or the second um, section of the book where in the first verse he says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. 
And so now what Paul's going to do is he's going to address the things that the church of Corinth had written to him. They had questions about certain things, spiritual gifts and marriage and singleness and what should we do in these different states. Last week, again, we covered the first half of 1 Corinthians 7, and we focused a little bit on marriage. Even though there were verses of, of singleness in the first part, I really, the, the focus of the me- message was marriage. And really contentment, the title of the message, if you'll remember, was the greener grass syndrome, where we tend to look over our neighbor's yard and we look over the fence and we see their grass and it appears to be a little greener than ours and there's a point of comparison. So we elevate their situation and we put down our situation and I kind of close that message with being content wherever you're at. Whatever state we find ourselves in, the Lord wants us to be content. And we shouldn't be looking into our neighbors long. We shouldn't be looking at what other people have or what they're doing. We should understand that God is leading us, that God has our lives, that he's the Lord of our lives, and he's with us in all of our situations. And so if we look to him, we don't need to look at our neighbors and compare ourselves to what they're doing or what they have. And so contentment was really the focus of the message and being content in whatever state you find yourself in. So as we move on now in 1 Corinthians, we pick it up at verse 25, and this is the second part. And again, I'm going to focus a little more in on singleness, even though there are scriptures that deal with marriage. I'll deal with those as they come up, but ultimately my message today is to singles. The title of the message, Freedom to Serve the Lord with Minimal Distractions, and you'll see how that plays out. So verse 25, 1 Corinthians 7 says, now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. And so when Paul says virgins, he's referring to singles, individuals who were not married, individuals who found themselves in a single state. And then he says, I have no command from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. Paul is not saying that this is not inspired Bible. He's not saying, hey, this is my opinion and this has nothing to do with the word of God. No, he's saying the Lord hasn't dealt with this yet. And so as one who has the heart of the Lord, as one who is writing the things of the Lord, I'm going to let you know what God is saying on this subject, though Jesus himself didn't talk about it like he talked about divorce in Matthew chapter 19. And that's what he's referring to. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, let me read it to you. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul, or what Peter is writing here is that the Scriptures are nobody's opinion. Scripture is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit took the writers, the authors of the New Testament, and he superimposed supernaturally himself in their writings. It's kind of a trip, right? Because if you look at the writings of the New Testament, you see the writers' personalities come through. You see Paul. He was an avid sports guy, right? He talked about boxing in the air, shadow boxing, right? He talked about the race that he was running, The author of Hebrews does the same thing. And so you see the different likes and dislikes of those personalities come through. And yet the Bible is literally God-breathed. And the way I picture that is it's like being used by God today. 
If you are a vessel of God, if you are wide open to God and say, God, I am your vessel, I want you to pour in me so that you can flow through me to other people. And that's exactly what God does. If we are open and available to the Lord, then God pours in us so that he can flow through us to other people. We are what? The body of Christ. So God is the head. He's the brain. He's instructing us, guiding us, leading us. And we are the body. We are what? His hands. We are his feet. We are his mouthpiece. We are his listening ear. We are his arms that embrace and bring in. And so we have an opportunity to be used by God, just like the authors of the Bible were able to be used by God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, the Bible says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so Paul, when he says that this is something that the Lord hasn't touched on, is not saying that this isn't the word of God. He's saying God hasn't touched on it. And so I'm going to let you know what God thinks on, on, on this subject. Verse 26, he says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. And so we saw that over and over in verses 1 through 24, over and over. Whatever state you find yourself in, stay in that state. What is the context of that? He says it right here, distress. So either something locally was taking place in the city of Corinth, or I believe it had to do with who was on the throne in Rome at the time. And if you'll remember, it was Caesar Nero. Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus was his name. From October 13th, year 54, through June 9th, the year 68. 13 years he would reign on the throne. If we look at where this falls in line with the book of Corinth and and what Paul is actually writing, according to the Acts of the Apostles, Paul found the church in Corinth, Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 17. Then he spent approximately three years in Ephesus, Acts 19, 8, verses, uh, chapter 19, verse 10, and 20, 31. The letter was written during the same time in Ephesus, which is usually dated between the ranges of 53 and 57 AD. So if Paul wrote the book of uh, Corinth, the first letter, between 53 and 57, uh, Claudius Caesar Augustus here, Nero basically, was on the throne from 54 to 68, It's right at the beginning of his reign, and we can see this distress. Paul is able to, like, prophesy. He could see on the horizon, wow, this guy is not good for Christianity. This guy is doing some bad stuff. The history of Nero, Peter, and Paul would both be killed under his reign. And so some very, very bad stuff was taking place at this time. And in light of that, we have to see the context of what Paul is saying. If we take the scriptures out of their context, we can make the Bible say anything we want it to say. And that's horrible because that's eisegeting a passage, which is a Greek word, instead of exegeting a passage. To eisegete means to read into. I'm going to bring my preconceived idea. I'm going to bring my opinions, my judgments, and I'm going to use the Bible to prove it. Well, that's not what we're supposed to do with the Bible. We're supposed to let the Bible speak for itself. 
We're supposed to let the word of God be, be lay right there and just whatever God is speaking through his word in its context is what we're supposed to be able to get out, draw out from the Bible. And that's called to exegete the passage. And so we exegete, it's exegesis is what it's called. So very important we understand the context, this present distress He's saying it's good for a man to remain as he is. Verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Again, whatever state you find yourself, stay in that state. Imagine it, if you will, if you were Jewish and growing up in the time of the Holocaust. Would it be time to be looking at the honeys and thinking, woo, yeah, you know, I'm thinking I need me a hot honey to get married. No, there's a major distress going on, right? There's catastrophe. There's a holocaust that's taking place. In the light of that, it's not time to do it. Now take yourself back to first century AD. You got Caesar Nero on the throne, killing Christians, wreaking havoc in the lives of individuals. For a man who loves the Lord, imagine somebody taking a sword and putting it on your throat and saying, denounce Christ. Taking a gun, they didn't have guns back then, but imagine it. Taking a gun and putting it to your head and saying, denounce Christ and live that would be difficult enough would it not be now imagine that same man with a wife and at threat of his wife being raped in front of him if he doesn't denounce christ imagine emotionally what that would do to that man or take one of his kids and at the threat of killing one of his kids in front of him or denounce christ you see how that ups the ante on the emotions and everything within that person and so paul is saying in light of this current distress in light of the potential of how they can use your family against you. Are you married? Go ahead and stay married. Are you single? Then go ahead and stay single. In this economy and what's taking place, it probably would be way better for you to do that. And so again, we have to understand this within its context. Verse 28 says, But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh but I would spare you. And so notice his motivation. He's trying to spare them for the difficulty that they may have. Verse 29, but this I say, brethren, the time is short so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. Paul is here teaching now that even in this current economy with the state that you find yourself in, you have to come to the place where if you're married, you need to act as if you're not married, not to neglect your spouse, not to act like you don't have a spouse, but to place Christ as your highest priority, to put God as first and foremost. And so if you're being led by God, if you're being directed by God, then obey what God is calling you to. Your spouse, your family is going to at one point, one day hopefully, understand that you really are being led of the Lord, that you really are doing what God has called you to do in any given moment. And I believe that's what he's saying here. Verse 32, he says, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. We're gonna come back to that. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. 
And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. As it relates to the married, he's saying the married have to care about the things of the world. How? How she may please her husband. How he may please his wife. My wife is my grounding rod. If I wasn't married, then my head would be lost in the clouds. I would just be, woo, serving Jesus, ministry is so fun, at the neglect of everything that I need to take responsibility for. Something as simple as getting insurance for my family, not even on my radar, could care less. I have this kind of like, oh, God's got us, God's got us, I don't have to worry about that, we'll just never get sick and we'll never have problems and everything will be great. And if we get sick, we'll just pray and God will heal us, right? And my wife's like, no, that's not how it works, you need to get insurance. And so at her request, at her desire, again, being my grounding rod helps me understand that I need to take responsibility for those types of things. And yes, we can pray, and yes, God can heal us, but you know what? Being that grounding rod, I care about the things of the world, things that I wouldn't even care about had I not had a wife. And so that's the benefit, if you will, of having a spouse. They, there's just this great balance that can take place, but... We're going to get into the single stuff as we close the message, so I'll come back to all that. Verse 36, but if any man thinks he is behaving improperly toward his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. And so in this culture, they had um, arranged marriages. And in those arranged marriages, sometimes they happen before the kids were even born. Sometimes they happen when the kids were in the womb, right? All right, so your third cousin removed from your aunt's sister's brother's uncle is who you're going to marry. And so imagine that. You'd you'd grow up looking at, oh, man, that's the guy I got to marry. Darn, he only has one tooth. I don't... Is he going to like, you know, well, he's got one tooth because he's seven years old and they lost all their teeth, you know, but no. I mean, imagine that. And so here he's saying if, if you have these arranged marriages and... You know, it, you're going to have your, your young daughter get married to this guy. It's not a sin if she does, but I think it's better if she doesn't. And so that's what he's addressing here. Verse 37, nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. Speaking exactly to that situation. Verse 39, a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. And so now he talks about wives are bound to their husbands as long as they live, and if you're a widow, you can stay in that state or you can remarry but only in the Lord, and you're happier if you remain as you are, in a state of not being married or singleness. Let's take a look at the verses, because I do want to close and and focus in on singles. And I will say this. I don't know where it came from, but I believe within the church, there is a stigma in singleness. I don't know where it came from, because God elevates both singleness and married life. And so it's a blessing to be married, but it's a blessing as well. And if you go from good, marriage is better, being single is best, according to the scriptures. And we're going to see why that that is, okay? So 
Life is good. Being married is better. Being single is best. And so it's not worse. It's not, um, I don't know, this, this, you know, what is that letter that they used to, scarlet letter on you? Big S, single. Oh, what's wrong with you? Something's deficient. You're not in a perfected state. I don't think anything could be further from the truth. God doesn't see it like that. And I think wherever that came from, I think we need to be careful. We need to be careful not to cause those who are not married within our fellowships to feel second class or second best. God sees you as wholly different. And again, we're going to see why. As we go through the Bible, as we go through this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, I'm going to show you all the verses that kind of point out this state of singleness. Verse 1 says, Now concerning the things which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. It's good to be single. It's good right there. He's saying this is a good state. Nothing wrong with this. There's nothing second class about this. Jump down to verse 8. Paul writes, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. How was Paul? He was single in this state of writing. So Paul is coming from a perspective of both. He was married, and it is either believed that he, his wife died and he became a widow, or his wife divorced him when he became a Christian. We don't know, but it's either one of those two. But nonetheless, Paul, while writing this book to this letter to the church in Corinth, he is in a single state. And he's saying that if they remain even as I am in a single state. Now, he told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 earlier, not everybody has the gift. And so if you don't have the gift of singleness, then that's something that you want to be looking towards marriage. But if you have that gift, then it's definitely better, he's saying, to remain in that state. Moving on in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, go all the way to verse 26. And the first words there, he says, now concerning Virgins or singles, those who are single. And then you jump down to verse 27 in the second sentence in that verse, actually third sentence, are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Interesting word he uses, right? Loosed. What would be the opposite of loose if you were married? Bound, right? And then he gives us some interesting words in verse 28 as it relates to that. He says in the, in the last sentence there, nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh. Speaking of married, I would spare you. So he's sparing individuals that are looking to be married from trouble. Isn't that an interesting dynamic of words? Jump down to verse 20, 32. In verse 32, he says, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may Please the Lord. He's going to say later that there's a minimal of distraction in being single. So what does that mean? Those who are married have distraction. There's no way around it. Because you have to care about the things your spouse cares about if you're married. And if you don't care about the things your spouse cares about, then you're a horrible spouse. Let that sink in. He said horrible? Did he say I was horrible? Yes. Yes. You're a horrible spouse if you don't care about the things your spouse cares about. 
Why did you marry that person out of the 7.1 billion people that walk the face of this planet if you weren't going to care about the things they care about? You should care about the things that they care about. But if you're single, you're not distracted with that. Something to think about. Then I'm going to get single. No, I'm not telling you to divorce. No, that's, that's not the point of the study. Ay, ay, ay. Verse 34, he says in the second sentence, the unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. Verse 35, and this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. So a single person doesn't have a leash. What does a leash do? It limits how far you can go. If you're married, you're limited in how far you can go. Yeah, well, I have a desire. I have a desire to go to the whatever, and, and I want to be a missionary for seven years, and I'm going to abandon my wife and family and just leave. No, you don't have that freedom. You have a leash. That leash is your marriage. And I'm not saying that's a horrendous or a horrible thing, but in contrast to someone who's single and has that same desire, if that's a call from God, what do they do? I'm going to that place for seven years and I'm going to serve the Lord with reckless abandon because I don't have the limitation. And then finally in verse 40, he says, but she is happier if she remains as she is. If we take last week's study, the grass is greener syndrome, and we begin to recognize this for married people wishing they were single, oh well. (laughs) A little late. Four points that Paul is making in this chapter. Number one, if you can remain single and be devoted to the Lord in purity, then do it. That's a clear, clearly communicated within this chapter. If you can remain single and be devoted to the Lord in purity, then do it. Number two, if you're not gifted for celibacy, pray and look for a godly mate. Jesus said in Matthew, we read it last week, not everybody has that gift. Not everybody has that call on their life. And so if you're not gifted in singleness, if you're not called to be single, and there's a desire for you to be married, then go ahead and get married. It's better to marry than to what? He said, burn in lust and passion. And so there's nothing wrong with getting married. He said that over and over. But if you can do that, if you're not gifted for celibacy, pray and look for a godly mate. Number three, marriage is not the final solution to your problems. God is. Many an individual has come to me and has communicated with me that their problem with lust is due to, and then they'll give me a reason. And they think that getting married will be the solution for that. The problem with lust, unfortunately, is not found in another person. It's found in our hearts. There's something that's missing. There's something that I'm not addressing. There's something that maybe has been placed in the back burner of my life. We call them strongholds. And we have this spiritual ghost thing about strongholds and a lot of times we think they're not what they really are what is a stronghold it's a misunderstanding of truth simple as that 
It's a misunderstanding of God and his heart and his word and what he has and what he has for us in his love letter. And so the enemy brings a lie. The enemy brings a misconception about something. And then before you know it, it's planted in our minds and a stronghold from Satan is developed in our understanding about a certain thing. If you have a reoccurring sin, I don't care what it is, but if you have a reoccurring sin in your life, the way to get in touch with that is to open yourself up to the Lord, be vulnerable to Him and say, Lord, what is it? What is it that is driving this? What is it that I'm looking to fulfill through this thing? What is it that I'm looking to satisfy with this thing? It must be something way back in my life that wasn't satisfied. Lord, let me get in touch with that, confess that, acknowledge that, receive the forgiveness that you offer, walk in the grace that you give me, which is my strength, and then be healthy in that area. Have a good understanding of what is going on there. And so marriage is not the final solution to your problems. God is. And then finally, number four, marriage is a picture of God. There's two parts to this. So marriage is a picture of God. You take a man and you take a woman. You take God's nature divided at creation. Within man, God gave the masculine attributes too. Strength, worker, provider, um, protector, disciplinarian. He divided himself at creation. In woman, he gave his feminine attributes too. Caretaker. There's a softness. There's a long-suffering and a patience. There's a mother bear that comes out, not on my watch, Mm -mm -mm, right? And so you look at these attributes that God divided, and he placed them within man and woman, and then he takes two flesh, two fleshes, what does it say? Two shall become one, right? And he brings them together, and then it pictures God, salvation in a marriage, People are able to see a marriage and they're able to see two opposites attracted to one another flowing beautifully and it's this picture, this type of God and our relationship with him. That's marriage. Marriage is a picture, a type of God. Singleness is the real thing. What? Marriage is a picture or a type of God. Marriage is a picture or a type. Singleness is the real thing. Why? Uninhibited relationship and union with Christ. Nothing is to get in between you and your creator. A married person is distracted with the things of the world. Why? They have to be. A married person cares about the things of the world. Why? They have to be. A single person has singular focus with God and the things of God. Reckless abandon is the word I think about as it relates to their relationship with God. Nothing or no one should come in between them and their spouse, Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 54, we read it in our time of responsive reading, for your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. Doesn't that blow your mind? Isn't that crazy? 
In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul would address this church in Ephesus, and he would give them the roles for the spouses, right? Husbands, do this. Wives, do this. As he's talking about it, he says in verse 25, husbands, love your wives. And then he gets sidetracked with the Lord and what he did for us, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he may present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Your relationship with God in a single state, nothing is ever to come in between you and the Lord. And whatever God is calling you to, you get to do. And so not being a picture but an example of the real thing as the world watches on and they see your life surrendered and devoted to God and the things of God in your single state, they see a picture of, wow, God loves you that much? God leads you like that? God talks to you like that? That's beautiful. And then you just obey? You just follow along? You just flow with it? Man, that's, that's something to behold. In the Old Testament, the wave offering in the book of Leviticus was to be offered by the priest. And they would take that animal sacrifice and they would wave it. They would wave it like this. So they would take the sacrifice and they would wave it. And the people were supposed to be on the other side of the sacrifice. And the priest was supposed to stand where he was called to stand. And he would take the sacrifice and wave it. And nothing or no one was ever supposed to come in between the priest and his sacrifice. Nothing or no one. And in a single state, nothing or no one should ever come in between you and your sacrifice. Keep Jesus right here. In between everything that you do. In between everything that you think. In between everything that you say. Keep the sacrifice in between you and everything else. And in that state, you have an opportunity to serve God. Again, I love that word, reckless, abandon. And in a married state, care about the things of the world for your spouse's sake. Care about what they care about. That's what you've been called to. And your proof, your opportunity to show God how much you love him will be your faithfulness to your spouse in that relationship. How much do you love God? Prove it through your spouse. Show your spouse how much God has meant to you, what he's done to you, how much you can sacrifice on their behalf. Because we're all selfish, are we not? And a marriage proves it very well. So we have an opportunity daily, I I call it the mirror, to see, oh, blemish right here. What do you do if you go to the mirror and you see something? You wipe it off. You do something about it, right? You take care of it. You handle it. And so it's not so much you're looking for the results within your marriage. Results are God's responsibility. Results aren't your responsibility. Faithfulness is our responsibility. So be faithful in whatever state you find yourself in. Freedom to serve the Lord with minimal distraction Again, I wanted to elevate singleness so that those who are single within the fellowship, those who are single that are listening to this message can understand that you're no second-class citizen in God's eyes. 
You're not unfulfilled or half of a unit or something that, well, I'm going to be better when I get to that other state. No, 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 no. Enjoy the state that you find yourself in right now as a Christian. Be faithful with what God has placed in front of you right now as a Christian. And if later on God changes that state, to God be the glory. But for now, I want to be faithful where I'm at with what God has given right in front of me. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can have within our fellowship, Lord, those who are married and those who are single. And Lord, we are one body and we are united as one body, Lord, to glorify you. The body is to be an extension of you, Lord. We get our marching orders from above and we obey what the head is telling us to do. So Lord, may we be in whatever state we find ourselves, your listening ear, your mouthpiece, speaking grace to individuals, your loving arms that receive and embrace, your feet that take the gospel, the good news, wherever we go. And so, Lord, we thank you so much that you give us such practical things within the pages of Scripture to be able to look at and learn from. And may we continue to grow up in the things of God. In Jesus' name, amen.